Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Those of you that, are, that have my email address on your computer, if you get an email from me, uh, right now, just know if it's got an attachment. Don't open it because it's spam. Uh, I'm sorry, I goofed the joke up. <laughs> if you get a message from me about canned meat in an attachment, don't open it. It's spam. Uh, all right. Totally goofed that up. All right. You know, if you leave out one part of a joke, the whole thing doesn't make sense, right? Somebody came up to me after the first service and said, spam is something posing as meat, S-P-A-M, something. Anyway, their jokes are worse than mine. All right. So this sermon series has been about party, and I think Pastor Mike's going to conclude it next week, and I'm looking forward to us uh, concluding it, and then we're going to jump, we're jumping in next week to uh, uh, a change of direction. We get some things I want to share with you so bad, but I got to wait till next week for us to share it with you. Uh, we're going to talk about kingdom builders and what we've been able to do together this past year. And I am so excited to share some of the stuff that we have done together this past year. I'm so excited, but I can't do it today because it's set for next week. All right. Encourage you to be a part next week. And then um, um, we're on a sermon series about party. And, um, you know, the world views a party as, you know, going somewhere, doing something and having this exciting event. But what a real party is, the core of what a real party is, is who you are with. Now, I look back on the times in my life when I had the most fun. It wasn't what I did. It was who I was with in those times. You think about that. The times that I grew the most in Christ were the times that me and another follower of Christ were in relationship with one another and we were growing together. The times that I've had the most fun in my life was not what we did, but who I was with. And they made it fun, not the thing made it fun. And that's a wrong view of party in our world. You know, there's a view of party in our world that it's what you do or it's what you put into your body that makes a party fun. No, no, no. What makes a party fun is who you're having fun with. And that's why the church of Jesus Christ should be the biggest party in the world because we should love one another and treat one another in kindness and help one another grow and mature so that together we can live this entire life as a party because we're growing together. And that's what Jesus did. Everywhere Jesus went, do you know what made Jesus so incredible at parties? Is when he showed up, everything got interesting and fun. And what I would like us to do is I would like us, I know this is the age of social distancing and this is the year when everything's going crazy. And some of us, man, we've broken off and we've isolated ourselves and we've not, we've not interacted in relationship. And I want to encourage you, if you're watching online, I want to encourage you, you have some people in your world, get together and watch one of these sermons together, these services together and celebrate together as a party because the body of Jesus Christ is what the party is. When we get together, things get fun. That's why you look to the person next to you and tell them, hey, the party's here. Tell them the party's here. Come on. If, you're, if somebody's sitting on a row alone, say you're a part of my party. Come on, turn and tell them. We are a part of the party together. 
And we need each other and we love each other. And that's why we're here. So what happened was there's a party that's going on and somebody showed up who was, who was fun, but they didn't think they were so much fun. So can we look at this story together? But before we do, let me, let's talk about party favors. Do y'all know what party favors are? Party favors, when my wife, when our kids were young, my wife would invite us to parties for everything. I mean, parties for every birthday, everything that happened. It seemed like we were partying all the time. Uh, Easter was a party, Christmas was a party, everything's party, 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 party. And she would make these little bags up, and when we invited kids over, we would get, give them in the little bags, things like gum and, and, and games and, I don't know, candy and little toys. And I always wanted to put a kazoo in there because I wanted to annoy all the parents you know, there's nothing worse you can give a kid except a drum, a drum or a kazoo, you know? And so anyway, we would always put those little bags and they were party favors. And what the party favors would say is, we're glad you came to our party. We're glad you're here. And it was a way of recognizing your guests to simply say, we're glad you're here. So what we're going to look at today is a story that somebody didn't offer Jesus the party favors. So it's Luke chapter 7. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees, everybody say this word with me, Pharisees. All right, say it with me. Come on, you ready? One, two, three. Pharisees. Now, we'll talk about that in a second, but it's key to know where this party happened. This party is going to have a breaking of an alabaster jar of perfume and that kind of stuff. And a lot of people confuse this with the similar story that happens in Matthew, Mark, and John. But this one is different. All of those happen at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And that was Mary anointing Jesus for burial. But this is a separate story that happened much earlier in Jesus' ministry at the home of a Pharisee in Galilee. This is during the heart of his ministry. So understand, this is separate than Mary. And if you've ever heard about Mary, you know, being a prostitute, Mary Magdalene being a prostitute, what happens is they join these stories together and they are not meant to be joined together. All right? Everybody understand that? So this story does not happen at Mary and Martha's house. It happens at the house of a... Pharisee. All right. So when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life. Dum, 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 dum. The music changes. Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there. She arrived with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on his feet. Wow. Scandalous moment. We'll talk about it in a second. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, by the way, this is one of like three times in the Gospels where Jesus actually reads somebody's thoughts. He knew what this guy said. The guy was saying to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is because she's a sinner. Bad, bad woman. So Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And tell me, teacher, in English comes across this, tell me. But in the Greek, the way it's phrased, it's sort of like, okay, tell me what you want to tell me. There's some attitude going on here, all right? Tell me what it is you want to tell me. You got something you want to tell me? Tell me. There's, a, there's an attitude here. 
So he says, tell me. And so, so Jesus gives them parable. Parable says, now two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. We'll come back to this in a second. And neither of them had the money to pay the guy back. So he did what? He forgave. If you got a Bible, you might want to circle forgave here. We're going to talk about what this word means because this is literally a different word than we're going to talk about later in the text. This forgave is a different word than the later word we're going to talk about forgive. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which will love them more? Which will respond to the act of forgiveness? Simon, so now we know the Pharisee's name. Simon replied, well, I suppose the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, you've judged correctly. Yeah, Simon, you're not that dumb after all. And then he turned to the woman, he said to Simon, he turned to the woman, he looked at her and he said to Simon, he said, you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair and you didn't give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered, she's not stopped kissing my feet and you didn't put any oil on my head and she has per poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her many, many, many sins, they've been forgiven. As her great love, her act of love has shown her actions, do you get this? Shows her forgiveness. Don't tell me you're a Christian if you don't act like it. Don't tell me you love people if you don't act like it. Right? Her actions shown it. But whoever like you, you think you've been forgiven a little, guess what? You're going to love a little. Then Jesus said to her, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is a different word of forgiven here. We'll talk about this. This is the regular word for forgiven. There's a special word for forgiven earlier. There's a regular word for forgiven here. We'll talk about it. And the other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this guy? He even forgives sins. And Jesus said to the woman, notice the pronouncement, your faith has saved you. Not just forgiven you, saved you. Now go and live in peace. So Father, I pray that today you would speak to us through this passage. Our hearts would be open to what you would say and that we would hear with our hearts, not just with our heads, and that our spirits would be open to the truth you would give us today and you would speak life. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Turn, smile at somebody. Find somebody to smile at before you sit down. Find somebody to smile at. If you got a mask on, hold your breath so you don't breathe. Turn, smile, and pull it right back up, all right? All right? If you're online, here you go. There you go. Fist bump to you. There you go. All right, y'all ready? Are you sure you're ready? Because I could preach for hours, but I just want to go quick. And that means you're going to have to hold on and you're going to have to listen because we're about to jump in. I'm going to make this fast. I've been studying so much here that I, there's so much I want to bring to you. But we're going to make this fast. So that means you're going to have to pay attention and work with me. All right. Y'all ready? Here we go. I want to talk to you about just, I got an outline. I'll give it to you, but let's just jump right in. There's the players. There are two key players in the story. The first player is this. There's Simon. Simon is a Pharisee. Simon is a Pharisee. A Pharisee is different than a Sadducee. 
All right. There are two key players and two key groups in that time. One is the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the aristocracy. They were the people with a lot of money. They were the people with political power. They were the people that were the they were the aristocracy and the big deals. And they were the people that held all the positions of power in Jerusalem, like like Washington. They were and then the Pharisees were the common people. And the common people were people that had common thoughts. They, they had actually theological belief. Pharisees' theological belief was very similar to the theological belief of Jesus. As a matter of fact, he often agreed with them philosophically and theologically, but he didn't agree with them regarding their actions and behaviors and attitudes. And did you ever notice that it's the people that you get the, along with the most that you disagree with the most? Have you ever noticed that? The people you agree with most of the time, you fight with the most over these little peripheral things. We can be 90% on the same page, but we argue about these edges. Do you, know, do you know what Jesus wants out of his church? I am convinced. I am convinced that what God wants out of his church is this. He wants the church of Jesus Christ to come into unity and agreement about the 90% we agree on and to say about the 10% on the edges. Can we just all love each other and get along? Because the problem is this. We spend so much time fighting each other over the periphery that we don't actually love each other and work together to accomplish something. And the problem in changing this world is not with the White House. It does not matter who's in the White House. What matters is who is the Lord of your house. And we got a problem. We've got backward thinking in our world. We're trying to change everybody out there rather than simply being what God called us to be and quit fighting among each other as believers. Quit arguing with each other like a couple of kids. I'm going to turn around and start smacking dad in the car. Stop that. Stop that back there. And could we all agree that Jesus is Lord and could we get along? All right, so there's the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and Jesus is most aligned with the Pharisees. Let me give you a little definition of the Sadducees. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe that the Bible was to be read literally. They had all these things in place, and because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, the Sadducees were sad, you see. And the Pharisees all believed the right things, but they didn't do the right things. And they were sometimes hypocrites that they said one thing and did another. So they weren't fair, you see. All right, that'll help you know the difference. So this guy's a Pharisee. And he's a Pharisee. Jesus agrees with them a lot. They're, you know, but there's some tension around some things. We can tell by the way he invited him. So there was tension. And uh, this Pharisee, this one was actually well-to-do. Now, this helps us understand the story. In those days, you had a house. If you were a well-to-do person, you had a well house. And then outside, because it was always so hot and dark in the house, outside you would have a courtyard. Now, in that courtyard, it would be a large courtyard. It would be fenced in. And rich people would hold their meals in the courtyard after the sun was going down and it cooled down. Uh, Israel was very hot. And, and they would hold their meals outside in a courtyard and the rich people would eat out there and the poor people would come and stand along the fence. Now there's a key player invited, his name is Jesus. And Jesus is invited because after meals in those days, the, the rich people would have their big feast meal and it would be a party in this courtyard and the poor people would stand outside and they would invite a special guest and the special guest would give them a lecture after dinner on righteousness or government 
government or things like that. And they could dialogue the rich people and the poor people on the outside, you know, the people who work the rich man's fields, people that drove his oxen and those kind of things. Those people could stand outside and listen to the discussion and get smarter about how smart their patron who took care of them was. And then after all the food was done, since there was no refrigeration and no way to keep meat or other foods like that, the rich person would turn, tell the servants, give some food to the people outside the fence. So he was making them loyal to him, this patron system. So what's going on here, this Pharisee was rich. He was having a meal and there was a courtyard and as they were eating, people were gathered around and they were waiting for their chance to get some food. That's when an uninvited guest shows up. Before we get to the uninvited guest though, let's talk about what simple hospitality was. There are a couple of things that simple hospitality for somebody throwing a feast. Number one is you say hi to them when they arrive, right? Somebody comes to your house for dinner, you open the door, you say something like, hey, can I take your coat, you know, right? You say, welcome, I, yeah, the bathroom's around the hall here and you know, uh, come on in and introduce them maybe to other people in your house. That's simple hospitality, right? You don't walk, drive up somebody's house and they just don't answer the door and you're supposed to, isn't it sort of awkward if you have to walk into their house and that would be awkward, right? So a greeting is basic hospitality. And Jesus said, you didn't even greet me. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting. You didn't say hi. All right. Second thing is there's a washing of the feet. Why would you wash the feet? Well, in those days, there were only a couple of ways of travel. One way of travel was to walk everywhere you go. The other way of travel would be as if you had a cart or something. It was very rare. You had to be really rich. You would maybe ride on a horse or a cart pulled by oxen or something like that. And there were a lot of dogs around in those days. Dogs would eat the scraps and the bones that were thrown out and keep the wild animals away. So here's what you know about the streets. They were littered with the exhaust of everybody else's car and dog stuff. And by the way, th they would take the, the stuff from the pots in the household and throw it in the streets, by the way. <laughs> and then you would walk over it and come into the house and then sit down to eat meal and your feet would smell like the exhaust from the road. So it was a common kindness when you came into the house to do what? Wash the feet, wash so you could enjoy your meal without the smell of the exhaust. Are y'all following me? Do you know what Jesus didn't get when he walked into the house? Didn't get his feet washed. And then there was the anointing of the head with oil. What does all that mean? Well, I looked this up and this is what I read. Um, the native olive oil alone or mixed with perfumes was commonly used for toilet purposes. So the fierce and protracted heat and the biting lime dust of Israel made the oil very soothing to the skin. And it was applied to exposed parts of the body, especially the face. Anybody ever get dry hands in the winter and you get a crack in your finger and you wake up in the middle of the night and your finger's throbbing and you can't sleep because your finger hurts from a dry cracked skin? Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right. Imagine living in, an, in a climate where your face would get dried out and feel like that. So what it was nice to do when you came into house, if they would take some oil and rub it on your face so that it could moisten up your face and make it feel good. And it was a common kindness. Do you know what Jesus didn't get when he came into house that day? He didn't get his oil for his head. And by the way, that oil was normally mixed with some kind of perfume so that it would smell better. So if there were any remnants on somebody's feet, you wouldn't smell it while you're eating. Or if you've ever lived in a climate where people don't take baths, 
Anybody ever hung around somebody who didn't take a bath for a while? And then you're going to sit down to eat next to them and you're like, "Woo!" it helps to have some oil and smell on your face to cover them, right? All right. Are you, so all of these things are very practical party favor invitations to say, welcome guest into my home. And none of them happen. So Simon, by not doing these things, had intentionally shamed Jesus. He had done more than just ignored him. He had shamed him. He had said in a culture that shame was a big deal. He had said, you're not even important enough for me to recognize in my home or to take care of in any way. And it was an intentional act of thumbing his nose at him. Now, into this walks a woman and we know her reputation. She's a sinner. She's a sinner. Now, what that means, we don't actually know, but there is definitely sexual innuendo here. Definitely an innuendo that this woman was not morally sexually pure. As a matter of fact, her actions in entering the house tells us of her way of life being a scandalous life because she begins to kiss Jesus' feet. By the way, the feet had not been washed. And she's kissing the feet of a guy whose feet had not been washed. Come on, that's scandalous. All right, if, if you come over to my house and, and you crawl under the table and start kissing my feet, you can expect my wife to beat the living daylights out of you and throw you out in the street. Especially some woman down there kissing my feet. My wife ain't not going to like that, right? Any ladies in the house could say amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So, and she also did something else. Uh, she took her hair down. She took her hair down. In those days, if a woman wore her hair down in public, it was a sign that she was either a prostitute or was to be had. 1 Corinthians eleven six 6 says, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well cut her hair off. It's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her hair shaved. She should cover her head. She could she keep her hair under control because when you let it down, you're advertising. That's Bible times. But, you know, Charlie Rich understood this in the 70s. Country singer, Charlie Rich, anybody remember that? When we get behind closed doors and she lets her hair hang down and she makes me feel like I'm a man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Come on, we all understand that, right? It's the same thing. Letting your hair down means, I mean, if you say now you let your hair down, that means you went out and got crazy. We know what's going on in this environment. This woman is acting scandalously as a sinner. But she also did something else. She was giving honor to someone who had just been shamed. Jesus had just been shamed, but this woman gives honor to Jesus who had just been shamed by the host. The fact that Simon didn't treat his guests with respect was a slap in Jesus' face. And this woman, I wonder, I wonder if a sinful woman had felt that sting of rejection from Simon before. I mean, we could hypothesize, but had she felt this sting of rejection from Simon, this I'm better than you looking down my nose at you, had she felt it before? I mean, they lived in the same town and there were probably 150 people in the town. I mean, think about it. Is that why she showed up ready to honor Jesus with the alabaster jar of perfume? Because she knew that Simon would mistreat him and she knew that somebody needed to be kind to him? Hmm. So I bet she had felt it. 
So she comes in and crashes this party. You ever had any, you know what a party crasher is, party crashers, right? Those are people that come in, they're uninvited and they crash your party. I was looking for a way to, to illustrate this and I found a couple of pictures online to talk about some, some photo uh, bombers who crashed a party. <laughs> I love that one, that's my favorite. Can you go to the next one? If you've never had a giraffe lick down your arm with that tongue that's about that long, you have not lived. All right. Uh, Go to that zoo things. Yeah, this guy reminds me. I need to call my mom. No, I'm just, <laughs> need to call my brother. There you go. No, I'm kidding. Uh, all right, next one. <laughs> These are people who are uninvited and, and we all see it as sort of comical that things are out of place. They're not as they should be. When this woman passed the courtyard and walked in, Photobomb, party crasher, alert. All right, so next we go to what's the parable Jesus tells. When it, when it happens, there's a parable. He makes a, a story real quick, and the story's really simple. He said there are two, two guys who owed some money. One owed 50 denarii, the other 500 denarii. Now, we don't know what that means, except this. A denarii was equivalent to a, way, a day's wage, they said. So I just put some generalized terms for today, rounded up the numbers. So let's say one guy owes, owes a First National Bank $50. Or, uh, I'm sorry. What do I have in my note? $10,000. And the other one owes $100,000. Those would sort of be loose equivalents today. One owes $10,000 for a car and the other owes $100,000 for a house. Okay. So what happened is the two owed these amounts of money and the money lender, he did something incredible. He forgave the debts of both. That's where we can talk about the different word. The word I told you to circle is forgive. Now I was reading in the Greek the other day, I was reading this passage and I came across this word and what caught me about this word is I had just read the same word in a different passage in 2 Corinthians and I had been caught by the fact that there is a general word in the New Testament for forgive and that is the word aphemy and what it means is to let go, to let go. So when you forgive someone, you let go of that, that hurt and the things they owe you, let go of it. But this is a different word here. When he's forgiving the money, you see, it's not just enough to say, you don't owe me anymore. Somebody has to pay for the debt. So he did this. The word there is charizomai. And, and it's a word we get charismatics from or charisma from. It is a gift. And it's a gift. So this money lender, he didn't just say, you don't owe me. He actually gave them a gift of paying off their debt for them. There is a, not just a forgiveness of you don't owe me. There's a forgiveness of I'm giving you something you don't earn in your forgiveness. The grace of God is the same word, charis. It is the grace of God that gives us forgiveness. And what Jesus is using this word here is he's saying that when this debt is paid, it's not just you don't owe me anymore, it's that the debt has been paid for you. This is, by the way, the same word used in 2 Corinthians when somebody sinned in the church and they had done wrong to harm the church. And Paul says, that person, we forgive them. We give them forgiveness they have not earned. We pay the debt for them. And in the church, it's part of the joy of the church. Sometimes we can cover your faults and failures for you and help you through them. Oh, come on. That's, uh, so anyway, um, so this debt was forgiven. So it was paid for by another guy. And this is more than just an act of goodwill. This is an act of grace and mercy and love and blessing that is unearned. 
So the key to understanding this is there was no request for forgiveness. The, these guys can go to the debtor and say, hey, can you forgive our debt? There was no, hey, can you forgive me? It was a gift that's given. What, I've got some people in my life that have harmed me a lot. And I can't have conversations with some of them. Some of them I've had conversations with trying to build that relationship back, saying, hey, can we talk about what happened? And can, can, you, you know, can we just acknowledge that this happened and find some forgiveness? And you know, those people, when they don't even acknowledge what happened, is anybody following me? Don't even acknowledge that they did me wrong. Don't even acknowledge that they hurt me. Don't acknowledge that they did those things. What do I do? Do I just forgive them for something they don't ask forgiveness for? I can't just let go of it because I, I can forgive them by letting go of it, but that doesn't cover it. What I have to do is I have to charisma. I have to give them forgiveness they don't even want. Are, are you following me here? Now, Jesus said, forgive us our debts our sins, the things we owe to people, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. So we're asking God, hey God, forgive me. I'm going to give forgiveness to others. And it's not just I let go of it. It's that even when there's that moment that they haven't asked, I release them by my power to give them something they don't even want or deserve or need. I give them forgiveness. This is so good. Because some of you are still walking around with unforgiveness for things that happened to you years ago that your dad cannot apologize for because he's dead. And it's about time for you to say, I grant that forgiveness. That teacher, you can never go back and tell, you were wrong, you were wrong. I grant forgiveness. Charismai. And that's what, that's what happened in this story. One was $10,000, the other was $100,000. Now, Come on, come on. I would love to have, if I owed $10,000 on the car, I'd love to have somebody say, you don't owe $10,000 on that car anymore. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be a whole lot more happy if they say, oh, by the way, that house payment, you don't have to make it anymore. I just forgave all of your house payment. Wouldn't that be good? Come on, would anybody in the place have a party if you got your house payment, like, taken away from you? Yeah. I mean, we're going to have a party. And, and what Jesus does is he uses this illustration to say, hey, listen, you think you've only been forgiven a little bit, Simon. This woman recognizes how much she has been forgiven. And therefore, there's a different attitude. Where there's more grace received, there is more love. But you see, Simon the Pharisee, he was pretending how cool he was. He was pretending that he wasn't sinful. He was pretending that other people had problems, not himself. So he was being what we call a hypocrite. You know what a hypocrite is? A person who wears a mask. So when I get scared, I pretend that I'm a lion and I'm strong, right? Or... When my wife comes home, I pretend I'm dark and mysterious. <laughs> or when Christmas comes around, I pretend I don't like her. Well, actually, I don't have to pretend. That's just me all the time. <laughs> but that's what a hypocrite is. It's somebody that wears a different mask for different occasions. And what this Pharisee thought was that he was awesome. And because he thought he was awesome, he didn't think he needed the same level of forgiveness. And the points are this. You may not be a prostitute, but you still dishonor Jesus by your apathy. We all think that you got to be really, really a bad sinner, but really you can dishonor Jesus simply by your apathy. 
by not worshiping the way he deserves, by not giving the praise for what he's given. Because the fact of the matter is you're wearing masks about who you are instead of really recognizing how broken and dark you are. The Bible says in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law, you are perfect in every way, yet you stumble in. One point, you're guilty of breaking all of it. So if you broke one thing, you are really guilty of everything. You're just as bad. And 2 Timothy 5.24 says the sins of some people are obvious. You know, people that are, they've done a lot wrong and it's really obvious. You see them and you say they're really broken and it's obvious. Uh, Paul said the sins of some people, it's obvious and they're reaching the place of judgment before him. If you've ever dealt with anybody that's like an alcoholic or, you know, they, they're a drug abuser or, or maybe they have other addictions in their life that have led them to that bankrupt moment where it, there's nothing left and they're at rock bottom and at that rock bottom, they, they have one of two options, die there at rock bottom or look up for help. And, and that person, their, their sins have led them to a place that it's obvious they got to make changes or they're not going to survive. But a lot of us aren't like that. A lot of us are like the second people. The sins of others trail behind them. So that anger that you hold on to and you respond with, that anger that's so quick, it follows you until you're like 60 years old and then your kids don't want to talk to you or bring the grandkids over because you're angry and bitter your entire life. Your sins have followed you. Maybe it wasn't so obvious to everybody that your life was a wreck, but your sins have destroyed and it's followed behind you. The fact of the matter is, whether you're one of those people that you reach rock bottom early or you reach rock bottom later, you're still at rock bottom because you've sinned. <laughs> and you're no better than anybody else. And, and one more thing, can I just talk to us culturally for a second? Culturally, uh, you know, we think, has anybody ever heard anybody say like, just follow your heart? Can I give some advice to the teenagers in the room that, that are wanting to date? Do not follow your heart. If you follow your heart, you will have a miserable life. You know, your heart will lie. To, d, 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 come on. Do you know what the Bible says about your heart? Do you know what your heart causes you to do? Your heart causes you to act stupidly because you're like, I feel this. And you will act stupidly. And then later on in your life, you're going to be like, oh, that was a bad idea. The Bible says about your heart, do not follow your heart. This is what it says about your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. You can't fix it. Your heart will lie to you. My heart wanted me to buy a Porsche 911 when I couldn't pay my bills. Right? My heart wanted that. And if I would have had that, I wouldn't have had that. Anybody awake in here? So we swim in the water of a culture that tells us to follow your heart. We're like fish swimming in the water. And we, we're swimming in the water. We, we don't even realize that you were not made to be a fish swimming in water. You live in a culture that lies to you. Follow your heart, follow your heart. Oh, if it feels good, do it. Oh, love is love. And what we don't realize is that is the lies of a culture. And you were made to breathe oxygen out of the water, but you don't even recognize you're drowning because you've lived your entire life in the water. And God says, stop listening to the lies and come out because your heart is beyond cure. So you're messed up. So what this passage says is the, the girl who was forgiven much loved much, but the one who didn't think he had anything to be forgiven for didn't love. And this reminds me, this woman reminds me of a painting by Rembrandt. It's called Night Watch. And, uh, 
it was Rembrandt's last and seminal painting. He painted it back in 1634. It was by the way he finished it the night his wife died. That was the night that he finished it. And Rembrandt um, was a great artist and, and we celebrate him now, but this painting sort of got him a bad attitude among people. It was called Nightwatch, of course, because it's dark and they put some dark oil over it and varnished it and it made it darker. But what it does is it sort of makes fun of the craziness of this environment, and this is a militia, and it's sort of making fun of it, and some people took umbrage at it, and it wound up that Nightwatch became something that people sort of hated against Rembrandt, so much so that this painting has been attacked three times. Somebody threw acid on it, somebody else attacked it with a butter knife, somebody else attacked it with a, a carving knife, and this thing has been attacked multiple times. The deal is, though, it was a unique take, and, and the person that he painted it for didn't mind because he, he had it. It was a celebrated thing. They had a copy made of it so he could have it in his house. So he didn't bug the original person, but everybody else didn't like how it looked. And this painting got a bad reputation by everybody in the world, so much so that it was attacked by all these people. But this painting was an incredible work that has incredible value. Do you know the painting of this value of this painting? In 2010, they estimated that the value of this painting is $960,000. So something that was misunderstood and attacked has an incredible value. Now, so, it reminds me of this woman. She had an incredible value because Jesus loved her and cared for her and she had a uniqueness but some things she had done made her be misunderstood by the world so much so she was attacked but Jesus restored her to her value. And some of you, you think because you're a little weird and you're a little odd and you don't think like everybody else and you don't act like everybody else, you don't have any value and you may be misunderstood at some times but God sees you as unique and you have a great value. So, final thought. Just, just two final things, I'll be done here, all right? This woman showed up prepared to do what she did. She, she didn't come to Simon's house that night and then run back home to get her alabaster jar of perfume. She brought it with her. She was prepared. What, I got to thinking about this, what caused this woman to react this way that she came to Simon's house ready to worship in this way? And, and it's obvious she had an encounter with Jesus before that moment because Jesus had already pronounced her as forgiven when she walked through the door. Because earlier, uh, maybe a family member of her was healed by Jesus. Maybe she heard him teach. Maybe she met him in the marketplace. But somehow that message of faith and hope and life struck into her heart and she came ready to pour out expensive perfume to make a fool of herself publicly in worship and thanksgiving for the great debt of her sin that was taken away. And, and yet many of us, we go through this life never thinking. We're just wearing another mask about how cool we are and never realizing that Jesus has forgiven us and he has forgiven the sin and he has given us a new hope and a future and the broken pieces of the, he has restored. Just one final illustration. It's, a, it's about the Japanese technique called kintsugi. Now, kintsugi, here's a bowl. What happens is if you had a valuable piece of prop, uh, uh, pottery and it fell and it broke, they would repair it, but they wouldn't just plain old glue repair it. They repaired it with gold. 
and they used gold and they would fill in the cracks. And here you see a piece that it fell, it broke, and they repaired this piece of pottery with gold so that the value of this piece of pottery quadrupled or more from its original value. Now it not just only is a piece of pottery that was beautiful and awesome, now it's a piece of pottery that has value in its brokenness and the brokenness actually adds value to it. Come on, this is what Jesus does to us. He doesn't just forgive us and let go of our sins. He forgives us and gives us grace through it. That means the places in me that are broken, he just doesn't take away the sin. That means those places in me that are broken, he uses his mercy and his grace to fill it up so it actually becomes more valuable to me and to the world around me. And the world around me can look at my brokenness and say, if God can restore him, then maybe he can do it to me too. And some of us, Come on, some of us, we just weren't cracked a time or two. Some of us were ground to powder and we're more grace than we are original us. I live in that space. I don't know if you know what it's like to be so broken, you can't even think about functioning. And then God's grace comes in and he fills you up and gives you life and hope and a future and makes you usable and valuable again. But that's what happened to this woman. This woman was broken. She was humiliated. And there she is worshiping. And Jesus says, oh, you are not only forgiven, but now you're given your life back. Come on, she had interacted with men for years and she knew what she was doing when she was kissing his feet and wiping his hair all over him and, and all that stuff. She knew what she was doing. She went expecting one response, but she didn't get what she expected. She got what she needed and what she needed was restoration and a hope and a future. And what she got was a life of peace leaving that room that day. Come on, this is good news to us. And some of us, we hear this and we just show up and we're like, okay, thank you, Jesus. You don't realize how much you've been graced of God's forgiveness or else you would worship. Maybe you'd fall to your knees too. And maybe you would do more than sing Jesus, Jesus. You'd sing Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Come on, you give me hope and life and break the chains. And I think there's a place and a time to worship like we mean it. And this morning is that time and place. So I'm going to invite the band to come up now. And as they come up, I want to ask you if you would bow your heads with me for just a second. If you're in this place today and you're broken like that, and you need the grace and forgiveness of Jesus to restore your life, and today is your day, you say, I want to receive from Jesus the forgiveness and the mercy and the new life and the restoration he promises. That's you, and you wanna receive Jesus as your savior. Just lift your hand with me right now. I, I wanna pray with you right now. Yeah, around this room, their hands going up. Jesus, I pray right now online, those that are right now believing here, that we would respond to you and receive the forgiveness and the grace that you give that fills up our broken places and gives us life. And I pray we would respond in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And amen. Would you stand with me? And today, I don't want you to leave. Please don't walk out those doors. I'm going to ask you to sing these songs. I, I've been thinking about this. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. I want you to go live in peace. But before she walked out, she worshiped. Before she walked out, she gave her best. She sacrificed. 
And I've been thinking about the God who made the universe and the God who forgave me and the God who restored us and the God who's given us hope. And you know, often we just come into this place and we sing a couple of songs and we think about our problems. It comes time to pray. Our prayers sound like, God, help me this, help me that. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. When will you recognize that I have forgiven you, that I have restored you? When will you worship me for who I am? And what I want us to do for a couple of minutes is not think about us, but I want us to elevate him in these moments of worship. Could you lift your voices and let's sing it together.